0: Welcome to episode 491 with my return guest, Ted Lide. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist, it's not a doctor's office, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is metalpod.com, and you can fill out surveys there. You can um, shoot an email. Uh, You can browse the forum. You can do all kinds of things. Um, Metalpod, also the social media handle that you can follow us at. Also at metalpod.com, you can find ways to support the show financially, which is really important. We always, always, always need uh, donors, whether it's via PayPal or Patreon or Zelle. Uh, All of those things help. Uh, I am going to dive right into today's episode It's with my friend Ted Lied, and um, I think you're going to like it. And if you don't, go fuck yourself. Every little thing feels like the end of the world
1: that shame in order to feel the pleasure. And I was being a dick to everybody. We are social beings. And the only way
0: you're going to get it out is to cry.
1: We need to be with people. I grab them by their throats and let them down to the floor and watch the breath leave their bodies. Well, listen, thanks for coming in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm here uh, with my friend and return guest Ted Lide. We decided that we were going to do kind of a joint uh recording he has a uh a podcast as well tell him a little bit about about your podcast
1: uh you know my podcast is called uh uh what is it called it's called learning not to swear with ted Lyon. uh and I actually i i i give paul Gamardin uh uh credit for being like the godfather of my podcast because i did his podcast and it went went pretty well and he like i think after like a month he called me and said i've gotten so much feedback from your podcast, from the episode you did of, of, uh um, mental illness, happy hour, uh, they either love you or hate you. And this is, that's what he says. I've gotten like 50 emails and they either love you or hate you. And you should probably do your own. Po- if you get people this upset, yes. you should probably get your own podcast.
0: One of the things that, uh, I love about you is that you, you are the least bullshitty person that I've ever met. And you are not afraid to upset somebody with your truth. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on, because, oh, there's some shit going on. And, um, uh, you know, also you being uh, a person of color, I wanted to get your take on things. Uh, We want to talk about the pandemic uh you're recovering from cancer you're on the waiting list for a kidney so other than the pandemic society falling apart the earth roasting <laughs> financial hardship <laughs> and cancer how are you
1: you know it's this has been a they they took the kidney out in march and then that's like just when the pandemic you know kind of hit the ground where everyone's saying okay now you can't go anywhere and don't talk to anybody so I spent, you know, the first part of the year just preparing for that surgery to get the kidney dealt with, and then, uh, and then that happened, and then my kids all came home from school. My son, you know, was was in high school now he's at home, and my daughter was in college, and now she's back in the house, and my wife's been working from home. So there's all four of us and the dog are in the house for three months now. We've been in the house, and it's been really hard. Not just because you you're. Stuck in the house with your family, and no one can go anywhere. But then you have the the element of you know, potential death if you go to the grocery store and you don't approach it the right way.
0: Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm I am wearing a mask by the way right now. Ted uh, has chosen not to not to wear one. Yeah, but uh, we're about uh, four, four feet four feet apart.
1: My wife would be furious if she could she was here right now. But yes. I, I I can't I have trouble breathing. Yeah. You know. Since the surgery anyway, it's hard for me to draw breath, yes. so uh and
0: by the way, nobody has since the pandemic, nobody has been on the mic that you are on
1: oh good, yeah, well good so so there's all of that, and then you add on this you know, all of a sudden racial strife becomes this thing that it, you just can't believe that it's still an issue after all this time,
0: right it's like how do you upstage a pandemic,
1: yeah. Yes, exactly. And why would you? What kind of mental illness do you have as a, you know, as a human being or let alone as a cop to say, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something even more horrible and catastrophic than COVID-19. You know what I mean? And then something that essentially then drives people who are supposed to be social distancing. It compels them through outrage to, to gather.
0: Right. It, it really seems like the universe is pushing society to a breaking point. Yeah. And, uh, so the first time you saw the, the George Floyd video, what did you feel and what did you think?
1: Uh, well, the first thing I, I, I remember seeing it, and uh, I'll never forget, I, I was just stunned and I was in a trance until uh, he started saying mama. When he said "Mama," I I started crying. I just started. I was weeping right there, watching this on my phone, and uh, I could not believe. You know what kind of man does this to another human being, to another man? And once any man hears another man calling for their mother, I mean, that's like the ultimate uncle. That's the ultimate. I give. That's the ultimate tap out. And this guy heard him saying it, and still. Nothing. And still nothing. And uh,
0: and and the, the other policemen standing there.
1: Yeah, and they didn't. They, none of them felt obligated to walk over and shove him. Just give him a shove and say, "Hey, that's enough."
0: Or talk to him. Yeah. Say something to him.
1: Yeah. I I I was stunned by that, and then ultimately, the second time I watched it, I I, I, I knew in my own heart that I'm the type of man. That could not have stood by, and because there's guys talking to the cop, there's you know mm-hmm. bystanders talking and pleading with him to to take action or to to stop, to and change course, and he wouldn't. But I'm the type of guy who, after like I wouldn't, have, I couldn't have watched that for eight minutes. Mm-hmm. By the you know second minute, I'd be under arrest or shot, or you know. You, there's a scene in "Do the Right Thing" with Spike Lee where he gets the, the trash can and goes over and smashes a window. I'd have done something. I know me to know enough that I'd have done something to make myself the center of, of attention and hopefully distract this man enough to get off of this guy's neck. I and it was just stunned that nobody had the courage or the the mindset to to take action.
0: I. I think a lot of people have, have wondered that, but I personally if I was in those people's shoes, I don't know what I I would have done because I wouldn't have known that he was going to die and I and I would have I would have been afraid of getting my my ass kicked, getting my head broken open. And yeah. um I, I can't I, imagine the the, the guy that was saying, bro, bro, bro. I can't imagine what he is going through, and the, and the woman, anybody who was, who was there, yeah. That because we always second guess ourselves after something tragic happens, we always want to want to blame ourselves in it. Um. Thank as, you for being honest uh, uh, about that.
1: As black people, I think that we we have reached a point, or we should have reached a point right now. Where we're where's where there should be a mob mentality in a situation like that. Where we now you're you are a family member, and it's like I'm not going to mm-hmm. stand by and let anybody do that to my kid or my anybody in my family and not make a move of some kind. Right. And it's and so I don't care if there's four three cops standing there flanking this guy. If we all move in on them, then they're going to have to shoot all of us. Then they're mm-hmm. going to have to do whatever they're going to do. You have to do you have to tase all of us. You're going to have to mm-hmm. do whatever. You're going to do whatever horrible, yes. your, whatever your next horrible move is. Yeah, you're gonna do it to all of
0: us. I, I get the feeling that as a society we have mo- moved closer to to that.
1: We should we should be there. Yeah, we should. We should, we should be there. It's like, listen, listen. There's there, there's four of you. There's at least eight or twelve of us, and you're gonna shoot us all. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna keep moving in on you until you get off of his neck.
0: One of the questions that I think is going through everybody's mind is what is causing this epidemic? Why is this not going away? I mean, obviously, racism has been here for 400 years. But in terms of how police continue to do this and continue to get away with it and the the seeming uh, or actual lack of compassion and the sadism on the part of so many policemen. Where does this come from? Did they come into the force that way? Did they come, you know, did the, the uh, did something break in them? Uh, is what the fuck is, is going on? And I think until we can start to answer those questions, we won't know how to address it. There was a guy that, uh, who was an ex-cop, and he wrote an article anonymously about, all of the horrible shit that he did and witnessed and stood by that happened, and the overall thing that he said was they are taught almost from the beginning that your safety the policeman's safety comes first paramount paramount, which on some level i can I can understand that they need to protect themselves to be able to function and do their job, but he said the other thing that was pounded into their heads was that this is you do not talk about any other cop and the way that they are trained is not to de-escalate things and there was a lot of other things that that he shared in this article and it it, it was it was really eye-opening not in terms of the abuses that go on but the extent to that he that he said, and he listed a Dead Sea Scrolls of abuses that were commonplace by all the police yeah. that he worked with.
1: Yeah, I believe that. I, I I think that that's one of the problems is there's this us or them mentality that has been adopted, and uh, you know, and and you want to believe that it's it's just racial, but then there's a scene. Uh, in Baltimore, where they shoved that poor old man down and mm-hmm. busted his hand open, yeah. and then marched past him, yeah. uh, that was completely uncalled for. He wasn't posing a threat to them, right. so one of them could what? not have, you know, taken him by the arm and guided him out of the path I you're in a you're you're marching down the street so you're in a path and you don't want your path disrupted right. but there's enough of you to get this guy out of the path and say listen you, you if you don't want to get hurt you need to stay over here
0: so what what is going through that police officer's mind when he is doing that it does he is is there something instinctively terrified in him, that that he is going on adrenaline, and and something is taken over him that's out of control, or is he calmly and coolly and premeditatedly saying, "This is my chance to fuck some people up"?
1: I think it's probably a little bit of, of each, but mostly the disregard that says, "You know, we are we are in charge, and you are you have no you power. are against us. You have no say, and you are, right. if you're in my way, you're against me." If you can, if you had the common sense that you should have you see us coming, you should why aren't you out of the way? Right. I shouldn't have to tell you to get out of the way. And you shouldn't expect me to be to treat you like a human being and guide you out of the way. So I'm gonna put you on your ass. And that's the that's the problem with policing now, is that the as a black man, the min the minute that I'm stopped by the cops, I have two choices to be, to be confrontational or to be submissive. Um, I feel like I should have the right to be confrontational if, if I feel like I'm being harassed or singled out for no reason. But if I want to tr- not escalate and put this cop in a position where no, you know, you're, you're a threat to me. And that's all it takes. You see videos where just your being disagreeable mm-hmm. is enough to be, for them to consider a threat. Not that you've been hostile or violent, but just the fact that you're being disagreeable just if you say why are you stopping me why did you stop me too many times then then now i have, i'm going to take this to a 12 when it when we could all keep it right here at a four uh
0: and, and speaking of 12 there the one of the things this cop shared in this article that he wrote was that there was a saying prevalent among he and his comrades uh that that goes uh i would rather be Judged by twelve, then carried by six,
1: yeah, yeah, that's a common you know I had never heard that before vigilante uh you know i I grew up I'm a Batman fan, I get you know being a badass and not wanting mm-hmm. to you know okay, but to to answer your original question, I think what it feels like to me now in my old age in my many years, it feels like it's something that's in the blood. It feels like there's a type of person that becomes a cop. There's a type of person that doesn't become a cop. There's a type of person that wants to dominate. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a person that that just wants to get on with their day. I think that the cops, what the cops have become is now something that attracts guys that want to dominate and feel good about dominating people. Uh, and not just black people, but why, why not black people? They're the easiest to dominate when you're a cop. Um, so I think, the fact, I think that there's something genetic about the the breed of people that are drawn to that lifestyle. Hmm. Um, it feels genetic. It feels like there's something in the DNA of mankind, particularly white men. You know, you look at the, the history of America, there is a window where, where America, where uh, Pilgrims or the settlers could have chosen to share this country. There was a there was a window where they could have decided, okay, we're we're going to find a way to make peace with the Indians, and we're going to coexist, and we're not. But the the dominant impulse was to to drive them out and to dominate them. And to, to mm-hmm. I believe that that DNA still exists. I believe that there's a part of white men that skips a generation or moves through a bloodline that 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 wants to drive out anybody that's different that wants to crush anyone that opposes them
0: you see it a lot in the business world where it's acceptable Uh, and you know I don't know if it's limited to uh race but there's a predatory um mentality that it's not what is the right thing to do it's what can I get away with
1: I look out on that hillside and I see, you know, uh, buffalo and I see Indians and I see, uh, a, you know, a settlement, uh, a tribe of people who, but then I don't see them as people or people who deserve to be there. I see of their land and when I can mm-hmm. do with it and why I want it. And, and, you know, and then, nice. so it becomes about, that's what it's about. It's about dominating that thing. Mm-hmm. So I believe that there's just something in the, the bloodline, I don't know if there's a way to cure it, you know, <laughs> a way to 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 seize it and pull it out, but it, that's how it feels to me. It feels like there's just this right. organic thing that some cats, you know, I'm sorry, I just
0: that's well, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because I knew I knew you wouldn't polish it up before you you served it to me, you know, that that you would you would talk straightforward about what it is that you think and you feel and I'm sure somebody some people uh, who are white would be like you know uh, how how dare he you know say that uh, you know I'm this or I'm that I've never I've never harmed anybody but I think there's um, I think everybody's got to be reflecting on well, what what it is whether you're taking uh, action that's hurting people or just doing nothing
1: disregard is disregard and that's that's the that's the kernel of all of it it's it's. So the question is: To what degree do you carry? You know, what degree of back black belt are you in disregarding? Are you are you first degree disreg- disregarded? Because that's what it boils down to. You know, f- white people are finally starting to say this: this racism is a problem that we have to fix, and it's true. It's more of a problem that white people need to to fix because they're the ones that are killing everyone. And there's so many more killings. I won't say everyone. Black people just don't sit off and kill white people. I'm not going to say that. But what I'm going to say is that you you find more cases in the news throughout history where black people have been lynched and dragged out of their homes or shot in their homes or in their cars than white people. If black people were killing white people at the rate that whites are killing blacks, there'd be gun laws. There would mm-hmm. the, If black people's we're shooting white folks the way they're getting shot. There'd be gun laws. There'd be changes in the gun laws.
0: I, I also think you would see an occupation. I think you would see a military state. You know, like you, like you see in um, Israel and the Palestinian territories. I think you would see something along those lines. You know, we love the Constitution until we think someone's going to take our stuff.
1: Yeah. And Donald Trump has proven that we don't really love our Constitution as much as we, just, we pretend we do either. Donald All Trump right. has driven that fact home, yeah. that the Constitution is just a, it's like a you know, a to-do list. <laughs> and either you'll get to it or you don't. Either you believe it or you don't.
0: So how do you talk to your kids about what's going on? You know,
1: uh, my children are mixed. My, my wife is Irish. And, uh, so my children are biracial and, uh, you know, my son has special needs. And so he doesn't, he doesn't, we don't really talk much about racism with him. We, you know, we, we did talk to him about the, the virus and staying safe and wearing his mask. He's real good about wearing his mask when he's out in public and he asks everybody that he meets if they're sick. He does sign language and he's nonverbal, but he does some sign language and he'll ask people if they're sick. And, uh. But as far as racism goes, we we don't really cover that with him. He he's gonna he's the type of kid who's gonna need a caregiver his whole life. So I think he'll be in good hands for the most part as far as not having to deal face to face with racism. My daughter is mixed, and she, she's very sensitive, a very smart young woman, and uh, you know we don't really talk about it either because she's lived with it. She's lived with it from both sides already in her whole in her young life. She's only eighteen now, but you know, being very fair skinned, she's dealt with discrimination from black girls, who you know don't want to be friends with her because she's white. They see a white girl, and then uh, she's had white people in her life that have Mm -hmm. been made comments about. They forget that she's black, and they make comments that are hurtful. So she's she's plugged in. And, um, you know, she's very liberal and very, you know, woke. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I It's mind-boggling for me because it's, it's not a place I thought I would ever be. Mm-hmm. You know, when I married a white woman, and you know, when, I, when I was a young man and optimistic, I thought by the time I had kids and by the time I was an old man, this would, you know, we we'd all have jet packs and <laughs> my skin color wouldn't matter anymore.
0: We'd be protesting <laughs> with our jetpacks.
1: Right. And the least of anyone's concern would be that I'm a black guy.
0: Do the protests give you any glimmer of hope that change might happen?
1: Uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, people I've I've had a few conversations about this. Um the the looting and the rioting is normally has in the past has always been something that I've been against and felt bad about, uh kind of embarrassed by. Um uh, but not anymore. Not anymore. I um you know, I'm I don't care anymore. I mean I, I, you know looting is not desirable and I don't I don't do it but I it also, doesn't upset
0: you like it used no, to No,
1: I feel like you know what's you know it's to me that's the thing. The bar has been set. The bar's been set for what's fucked up. Standing on someone, someone's neck is the fucking pinnacle of fucked upness. So I don't care if your store got burned down. I don't care. You you want to not have your shit burned down. You want to not have these things, these horrible things happening in your neighborhood, and being afraid of, you know, floods of people protesting in the street. Well, you know, then you got to find a way to fix the racism and stop acting like it's okay for you to do whatever the fuck you feel like doing. You don't want me to do whatever the fuck I feel like doing, which is burning this son of a bitch down. You don't want me to do what I feel like doing. But guess what? I only feel like doing what I feel like doing because you feel like you can do whatever you want to do, which is stand on my neck. Or so
0: I, st- or stand by.
1: Yeah, or stand by and, uh, you know, fly, fly your flag of disregard.
0: Speaking of standing by, what would you say if you could be in the room with those uh, police officers that stood by while wow. George Floyd died? Or the well, other I, guy,
1: I, or I, uh, Chauvin. I, I, the one question I would, I would, uh, would want to ask is he was he was cuffed. He was cuffed and face down on the pavement. So what is the significance of choking out someone? How big of a coward are you that you still find this man to be some sort of threat to you when he's face down in the, in the, on the pavement with his hand cut? He can't even get up.
0: And you have a gun.
1: And you have a gun. And a taser, and he can't get up. If you get off of him, he can't get up because he's like a snail, with no, you know, with no arms to stand up. So he's going to have to roll around to try to get to his knees. He, you are a, a complete advantage. Why do you feel compelled to cut off his air? What is what is what threat are you trying to avoid by cutting off his air? It's a complete bitch move. What it's it, a complete it, little bitch move.
0: What, you know, what do you think they would say?
1: Uh, they would say what you were saying before. My safety is the most important thing. I'm like, how much more safety is required for you than him being faced out? Uh, him being unconscious is the ultimate safety for me.
0: You know what I think they would say? Uh, this This is how we were trained. I think that's going to be the defense in the— uh, in the trial and of I was nobody
1: has trained you to stand on someone's neck for eight minutes, right? Nobody has said and uh, after you get to that fifth minute you want to you know Your knees mm-hmm. are gonna start to cramp up so you're gonna want to try to you know Juggle your weight a little bit on his throat because that's the tough time for you. Is that crossing that fifth minute yeah. get the fuck out of here? It's bullshit
0: Do you have any advice for people who aren't of color like me, how we can be better advocates?
1: <laughs> no, I, you know, that I mean, I, I used to, I may have in the past felt I could answer that, but now since I feel like it's a genetic, something genetic, just like you know, genetically I'm predisposed to diabetes and, mm-hmm. and uh hypertension, which is what has damaged my kidneys. So there's, you know, that means my mother and my father they've had they had some mm-hmm. variation of d- diabetes and hypertension and so there's something genetic that is causing this in my opinion and my how it feels to me. So what can I? what can any word say, you know, it's like you talking to me about my diabetes. So like you you don't have diabetes, you don't have these ailments. So what, or what words can you possibly say that will heal me and my issue that I have to, I have to do the maintenance and do the therapies to fix myself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that, that's how I feel now. I don't, I feel like it's something that I can't, I can't address other than to say you need to be aware and you should be trying to do something better because the outcome for you is destruction f- from me? I am not going to sit here quietly and let this happen without burning your shit now. And, and that—that—that's to me—that's a fair trade. It's you know the, the phrase "no justice, no peace" has always been out there, but I think we're reaching a point now where we're about to show you. Okay, well, this is what this means, right? This is what it means. Justice with no justice, no peace without any actual consequence. Mm -hmm. And that's been the problem is that there's no consequence. You know, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, uh, Tamir Rice. uh, If there's no consequence, then, of course, there's, you know, how can I say there's no justice, no peace when my no peace doesn't have any teeth?
0: And sadly, the only way you're going to get some people's attention is through their wallet. It's certainly in a in a capitalist society that that has seemingly no restraints on it.
1: I believe that that's true. I believe yeah. that, that you know <laughs> you know what white men don't want is their shit burned down.
0: And I I <clears throat> do not uh, enjoy seeing people loot. Uh, I I am not pro looting at all. Neither am I. Uh,
1: but I got no problem with it if the if the exchange. is my life. I have no problem with it if it's the exchange of a man's life taken on basically in prime time in broad daylight with no consequences and no remorse or no. there's no that glimmer in his eye that says maybe I'm going too far.
0: And you know what I think was important too is that it happened in a northern city. I think that Especially woke people up because if this had happened in the South, I think a lot of people north of the Mason-Dixon line would have said this is a Southern thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's also, you know, kind of scary. That, yeah, the the that that illusion of, you know, we're, we're, at least we're not in Alabama, or at least we're not dealing mm-hmm. with Georgia. The fact that you realize well, Minnesota is you know is Georgia north who's Alabama North.
0: Let's take a break right here and give some love to our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com Online Counseling. If you have never tried online counseling, you should absolutely give it a shot. And they now serve uh, people who are under 18. It requires uh, parental consent, but uh, once consent is acquired, uh, the relationship between the um, youth, is that what you would call them, and the counselor is uh, private. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know that you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor. And if you are under 18, they'll send you to teencounseling.com and uh Get the ball rolling on uh, getting consent from your parents and finding a counselor and all that good stuff. And um, the process satisfies all the legal requirements in all 50 states, and they have 600 plus counselors who are focused on working with teens. So again, uh, betterhelp.com mental. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. Pulitzer Prize finalist and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When breath becomes air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com/breath. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. <laughs> Let's brighten things up a bit. Let's talk about the virus that is ravaging our planet. Yeah. What, what have been the most common thoughts and feelings that, that you have had since the, the quarantine?
1: The fact that we're just, it's just the, the what is bad now, uh, doesn't seem to be bad anymore. Uh, this, to me, this is a tremendous failing. Uh, Obama tried to give us health care, and they acted like it was the, – the the Republicans in particular acted like they're so much more offended by the attempt at health care, the Affordable Health Care Act, than they are about the pandemic. Yeah. So we have something that is a, a, a pushed through by a Democrat to try to give people affordable health care. And they're, oh, no, it's gonna ruin America. It'll never work. It'll never work. It's, he's trying to ruin America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you have something that's killed over a hundred thousand. Were we at a hundred thousand deaths yet? I think I'm not we sure. Are. I'm not yeah, sure. I think we're at a, easily at a hundred thousand deaths by this point, in, by from coronavirus, and not a peep. No, it's somehow it's not as bad as him trying to get health care. It just is upside down. It makes no sense. The fact that Trump can campaign with his head held high when there's this many more uh, deaths on American soil, they said, than the Vietnam War. Ted, Uh,
0: Ted, I want my freedom returned to me. I want want my right to be able to be declined for a a pre-existing condition. I want that freedom back. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you should
0: not you should have it back. To, to die uh in in poverty
1: it, it's i that's the th- i think the thing that's been the most mind-boggling thing for me is that like i said is that so this is not a failure anymore they've redefined what failure is and and to me it's just that's and, if, they and, can, if they can convince the world or America that failure is no longer failure, mm, then we're, we're in trouble.
0: I think one of the things that I, that I would really love to see change is I would love, and I have a lot of problems with the Democratic Party. I, you know, I, I usually vote Democratic because they're a better alternative in my mind than the Republican Party, but they are weak, corrupt Uh, You know, I could go on and on. And one of the things that really pisses me off is that they have allowed the Republicans to make socialism a bad word. Yeah. To make compassion and caring for the people in your village like we did for 10,000 years. We took care of each other. And they have have made that into a bad thing. Democrats should be saying... Yes, I'm a socialist. Yes, I care about my fellow man and and we can afford we can afford to help the people who are neediest. Nope. Do you need five fucking summer homes?
1: Nobody brands their uh agenda the way the republicans do and I, I, and that's that's one of their strengths is that they are able to sell turds and not lie about it being a turd yeah. and still sell it.
0: Yeah. And the <laughs> Democrats think the way is to sell dingleberries.
1: Yeah. and, and But to, to try to convince you that it's not a dingleberry. Listen, uh, the, the, the tax reform, there was no, there was no reason for it. There was no way to justify it in the, you know, in the eyes of the working class. And yet they sold it and, and he didn't get any kind of backlash or yeah. any kind of, you know, blowback from his own fans who are poor people
0: it, it, it's amazing yeah uh, one of the, one of the positive things about our current political uh, lack of choice is that i'm less afraid to die i'm less afraid of death i truly am there are I, days when i think if i died in my sleep you know i don't want to suffer but you know
1: uh, yeah. you know what i agree with that except i just don't want to die while that Bastard is. I don't want to die while he's president. I think that would that to, to me. That's like he really wins if I die while he's still in the White House. <laughs> but he beat me. He beat. Per, it's a personal beating. Then I mm-hmm. got. I, I gotta at
0: least live long enough to last. I live long
1: enough to see him go. Ha-
0: have there been any healthy coping mechanisms that you've relied on during the during the quarantine or you know during the
1: You know, I don't watch... I I stop watching very much news. I don't watch very much news at all anymore. I used to wake up and watch the... You know, scan the news in the morning, watch the Today Show, CBS This Morning, Uh, you know, just flip around and catch all the headlines. Uh, I don't do that anymore. You know what? I've been watching sitcoms and movies and, you know, just trying to create a little firewall between myself and... uh, something I seem to have no control over. And... That doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I think it's unhealthy to submerge yourself in something that is that toxic, which is just basically outdoors now.
0: Right. And and I don't think that that we need to uh, submerge ourselves to stay informed. I think there's a way to kind of titrate the amount of information that, that we're taking in, especially because the media... All the media outlets, uh, you know, they're they're either you know outright criminal in the lies they spread, or they're just plain lazy. Yes. But
1: the, uh, CBS this morning with Gail King and and uh, I, I, the, what they do at the top of their show every morning is this is your world in ninety seconds, and they they do like at seven o'clock they do your world in ninety seconds, and I usually if I don't catch it then I you know DVR that and I catch that. And then they'll tell you what the, and maybe I'll watch, you know, to see mm-hmm. if there's something interesting. But that that 90 seconds is usually, that's enough for me to feel like, Yes, okay, I'm, I'm good. I have, a, I have a glimpse. I have a thumbnail.
0: So have there been any ways that are unhealthy that you've been coping, that you're comfortable sharing about?
1: You know, trying to eat right has been hard. I I feel compelled to uh, eat cheeseburgers every day. I just feel like comfort food every day. Uh, I found out that Wendy's is apparently giving a bunch of money to Trump, which is like my favorite burger was the Wendy's. And so now I feel, yeah you know, that's depressing. <laughs> the number, Of all the burgers I love the most, this is oh, you bastards. You bastards. Every, what, every $4 I spend on them Combo now, I uh, well, how much of that goes to that bonehead? Uh, so yeah, just trying to eat right, get out and walk. My family walks every day. We walk. My 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 wife is really good about making us all walk, and you know, you just I don't know, man. This is just not. I'm I'm approaching the final chapters of my of my years, and these this is not at all what I thought Mm-mm. any of it would be like. The fact that a man could let a pandemic hit American soil and ignore it for 30 days or sure. forty five days that he ignored it and uh, and still get to run for president again and everyone be just pretend that that didn't happen or that doesn't mean that your safety and his your well-being is is, is not a clearly not a priority to him, and yet you want to tell me that he should stay.
0: Have you had any moments uh, during the the quarantine that were oddly beautiful, or made you laugh, or smile, or you know, warmed my kids, your soul?
1: Having my kids in the house, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag because you feel horrible for them that they're, they're. My son misses his school and his classmates. He's a he's special needs, so he does not have the. You know, my daughter can go up into her room and Zoom and FaceTime and talk on the phone with her friends and kind of have a you know a network of people. He doesn't really have that kind of a peer group that he can communicate with that way. So he's isolated. Um, and then my daughter's, again, she's isolated, too, in her own way. This is not the way youth is supposed to be spent under house arrest. So that that's it's a mixed bag in that. At the same time, it's great to have them in the house and it's great to have their company and they've been really good-natured and good-spirited about it. And, and uh, talking to my daughter and watching movies with her. You know, I, I always try to record at least one movie to watch with her, but, you know, something that she hasn't seen. And, um, you know, so that, that's that been the best part is getting this bond, extra bonding time with with my kids. And, and my wife too, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I just figured she might be listening. She might be listening. So, and of course my beautiful wife, Jamie, who was always there.
0: She is, she is awesome. I I love Jamie. I love Jamie. Well, dude, thanks for, for, uh, Schleppen over the hill to come well, come pleasure, do this man. with me yeah
1: he was he had some tech. paul had some technical difficulty oh, getting his computer
0: to work that's an understatement and
1: and uh and so he just kept apologizing, and coming out to see if I was okay, and I was laying on the sofa. And I told him, "Man, I've been cooped up in my house for three months with my kids. This is like this is like uh, Hawaii right now. This is like <laughs> I'm, this is so. I might go back and sit on you. <laughs> I might sit on your sofa another hour. This has been
0: so cool. Well, oh, good man. I'm, I, I love you, buddy.
1: I love you too, man.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as as." as much as i did Uh, and of course it's always always good to see ted uh i don't have any surveys today it's been kind of a crazy week uh i had a little bit of a of a meltdown and been i think i shared a, a week ago or maybe even two weeks ago um on a different dosage of one of my meds and it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride uh the depression kind of comes and goes when it does is just all i want to do is be in bed and um so everything has been feeling pretty herculean um so there you have it I, i hope you guys got something out of uh out of our episode and if you're out there and you're feeling stuck just never forget that you are not alone